Hello, welcome to Lamniforms Radio. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. Usually I use this podcast to interview musicians and artists about their process, their work, and who they are as people. But every now and then I like to talk to musicians about more established acts and their body of work. Today's episode is one of those conversations. The subject is Between the Buried and Me, a progressive metal band from North Carolina. The band emerged from the hardcore scene in the early 2000s as part of a wave of technically precise and bewilderingly complex bands. By the middle part of the decade, bands from this scene were starting to sniff the gooey center of metal's mainstream. In 2007, Between the Buried and Me swerved left with their fourth album, Colors, a single sprawling piece of music that owed as much to the progressive rock of the 90s as it did modern-day metal. For the next 13 years, they've released six projects increasingly dedicated to fantastical sci-fi concepts, taking them a far cry from their hardcore origins. This month, they'll release Colors 2. Since the band themselves appear to be looking back at their previous work, I figured it was a good excuse to do the same. Joining me to break it all down is returning Lambdaform's radio guest Sadu Anna Dollingham of the band Semaphore and composer Andrew Noseworthy, co-runner of People Places Records. Thank you for listening. So I'm just going to like kind of throw this out there because I like to start these uh, more like band retrospective podcasts with like a little bit of a, an icebreaker. And this might seem like I have a hunch. Um, did either of you while growing up have a weird Al Yankovic phase? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great icebreaker. Um, I don't know, Andrew, did you? Uh, I, I kind of did, but it was kind of like, it was kind of like a very specific album. It was like, I mean, obviously I know like the other classic Weird Al, like parodies that everyone knows, but more specifically, I had the, uh, Alapalooza album or something like the cover is like a Jurassic Park parody and the main <laughs> parody on it is like MacArthur Park, but redone as Jurassic Park. Of course. Amazing. So I, I had that cause like my cousin had it and I thought the cover was cool. I thought there was like this weird dude as like a dinosaur on the cover. So I, like as a kid, I want, I didn't know who Weird Al Yankovic was. I just wanted that album. And the last thing I'll, I'll say on that, that's actually, I was talking to my mom about last week was my like under the bridge, which obviously is like a ridiculously popular all time song of sorts, yeah. uh, is also parodied on that. And it's like turned into like a song about the Flintstones or something. And as a kid, I was more familiar with that parody. So sometimes when I hear Under the Bridge, I like hear the words of the parody in my head before Amazing. the original. So yeah, <laughs> there's my phase. It's not like a big phase. It's like one album. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's yeah. still, that's more than me. I was going to say, I never <laughs> went through a Weird Al phase, um, except for, yeah, the, the most popular songs. But I did go through a big Andrew WK phase in middle school. And I feel like that's almost like a Weird Al phase. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like that's that's significantly cooler than having a weird outfit. So this is, is slightly <laughs> disproves my, my hunch. But interesting results nonetheless. My hunch was that if you had a weird outfit as a kid and then got into hardcore, you're very much predisposed to like the band between the buried and me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's the, a couple of moments on colors, like very, I think Son of Nothing has one of those moments where it's just very accordions and weird out mm-hmm. stuff yeah 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 polka stuff the sort of genre jumping the like musical in joke kind of quality mm-hmm. um and I, I was re-watching some of their their making of videos because one of the things that's really cool about this band is they're they're very exhaustive in their documentation of their own album right. making process and at one point uh paul wagner who if you're listening to this podcast and don't know the band between the bear to me uh first i'm sorry and second, <laughs> um, he's the guitarist of the band Between the Barry to Me, uh, described Between the Barry to Me fans as being uncoordinated as like a group. And I feel like that also <laughs> kind of describes a lot. Of <laughs> Does he mean like uh, at concerts, like they just don't know how to dance or what, what does that mean? So for context, it's while they're like playing baseball in oh, okay. between like takes and so it was sort of lamenting the fact that Between the Barry to Me fans are generally probably not sports fans. Got which, it. Uh, so basically the thing that I'm outlining here is that this is a band largely for dorks in a lot of ways, or at least <laughs> right. th- that is the reputation that they've gained in the last decade or so. But I remember a very different between the Barry to me. And maybe that would be a good segue for us to introduce how we each got into this band. What was our introductions to the band? Yeah. Do you want to go first? City? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So my introduction to between the Barry and me was that, I used to be very into a lot of Victory Records bands growing up, you know, as one is. And I think um, I think specifically Hawthorne Heights, maybe, and, you know, Taking Back Sunday, just some, some of those albums. I just remember loving those albums. And Victory Records, 2003, 2005, was, were producing like a podcast, music video podcast sort of thing called Victor hmm. TV, where they would just... Um, they would just play all their music videos and have like interviews with bands and stuff. And that was the first time I'd heard like quote unquote real death metal was the, um, was the Mordecai music video, which is like, I don't know if you guys remember the music video for Mordecai, but it's like a, like a Barbie doll in like a, it, it doesn't really make sense. She's just driving through the town and then something happens to her and it, it's, it's pretty abstract, but it's centered around that. But I just remember watching that music video and kind of, dealing with it, putting up with it. Cause I was like, I don't really listen to this sort of music ever. And then the outro happened. I was like, Oh my God, they kind of sound like Radiohead. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, and then after that was before it was before Alaska came out. So I remember when the Alaska music video dropped and I was like, Whoa, this is sick. This is so heavy. And the bass at the end is so like intense. Uh, and the music video is crazy as well. It's just like a guy writing down stuff into a notebook over and over and over again. So yeah, it was through it was through Victory Records music video podcasting that they did. That's that's like I remember that so vividly because it's almost the exact same intro that I had. Like like very yeah. if you just like swap out like swap out like Hawthorne Heights for like Atreyu or something yeah, like right. that. It's actually it was probably much, Atreyu as well. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It was I was the same thing. I used to watch that video podcast. Um, though I did um, I did see Alaska before Mordecai, but I remember mm-hmm. all those videos like very, very vividly. 
And I remember that was also something that really stuck out to me was that uh, even though I was like, even though I was like very much into like hardcore, like I was re- like very into Converge at the time. And I was, but I was also into like a lot of those like scene, quote unquote scene bands, you right. know, like Atreyu and so actually Silverstein, I still like really love. Oh, uh, they were Victory Records as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Discovering the Waterfront was on was on Victory right. at that time. And right. uh, like I liked all that stuff, but I think that was something that I really liked about them when they popped up when I saw those two videos and they played those two videos was that they didn't like fit into the, a box like like mm-hmm. so many Victory Records bands are like the four fans of bands where it like tells you what you would like if you right. also like this. But I really liked them because I liked so much different kinds of music. Like I liked like Dillinger and Converge, but I also liked the more like uh, straightforward emo stuff or emo of that of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the copy pasta, and then uh, <laughs> and but I also was like a huge prog fan because like my dad was introduced me to Pink Floyd like as a as a kid. So at the same time, I was like still I was also listening or discovering like early Genesis and like King Crimson and stuff. So like mm-hmm. when I was like, oh, this band like does all this stuff and they're very like, they like like the Counting Crows too. Like I also like the Counting Crows. <laughs> right. Like I, it was kind of cool. It was nice to like, cause like, you know, so many of my friends and so many of these other bands are just like, so like one track and so like that kind of thing, you know, and it was cool to see a band like that. But otherwise, yeah, it was Victory Records. This is interesting because now like I was expecting maybe some slight differences in our our origin stories with this <laughs> band but where it's almost exactly the same for all three of us which yeah. is interesting they were the first band heavier than slipknot that i ever heard oh nice um, right i was at summer camp uh going into my freshman year of high school and you know was like making friends with the other like alt looking kids around and <laughs> you know one of them was like oh you listen to just like the most like boring mainstream metal let me show you this shit and <laughs> promptly blew my mind across the room yeah. by slowing me showing me a silent circus which, yeah, just I, I was completely un- unready for it, both in terms of its heaviness, uh, but then also, as you mentioned, like the way that it goes into that big melodic dip in the middle of the record. I was like, you can you can do that. Like right. That's that's allowed. I didn't, you know, have any context for bands being able to kind of like jump from styles like that. And I was hooked ever since they were actually the first band that I saw live. It was Whoa. the Converge Cave In Between the Barry to Me. Uh, so tour. OG. That's a crazy Um, lineup. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah, I was just hooked ever since. And I, I really, they were kind of like the emblematic, like extreme metal band that I was sort of the jumping off point for finding out about all sorts of other bands, you know, bands heavier than them, bands less heavy than them, bands proggier, less proggy, all, all sorts of different directions. Yeah. They're, they're good for that. Yeah. Now the, the, the occasion for us having this conversation is that, over 15 years later, they are gearing up to release uh, an album called Colors 2, which is a sequel to their album Colors, as the name would imply, uh, which came out in 2007. And Sadu, I saw on your Instagram feed at yeah. one point asking, <laughs> why would they make this? Like, why would they decide <laughs> to make the album Colors 2? Right. Uh, and I thought that was a, a actually a very good question. <laughs> Yeah, to um, me, it just it just feels like, I mean, I guess we're we're gonna get into this as you know as we talk, but it just feels like after Colors, there was a lot of 
trying to recapture the magic of colors, even as they push into more progier areas and then more, you know, rock opera areas, whatever. It was just reinventing it a little bit over and over again. And so to me, the phrase colors too doesn't mean much when Great Misdirect feels like a colors too and, you know, Automata feels like a colors too. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. we'll get there, but yeah. Also last year uh, when I was doing my micro review thing on mm-hmm. Instagram, Andrew was very attentive and hit me up any time that I <laughs> did any of the BT BAM albums. And so I, I thought this would be a great con- combination of people to hash out exactly like why colors too, why now, uh, what, cause it feels like if this band is now going to be consciously doing a sequel to one of their older right. albums, that feels like a good time to like take stock of, what all of the albums preceding that kind of mean as a block, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So the way I see it is there's very much the before colors and after colors. How, how do you, does that track for you guys as well? Yeah. Well, I feel like Sidhu basically, basically just said that to an extent that like everything. After yeah. Colors, yeah. really much feels like that. I don't know if you want to say, I can say a couple other things, but I don't know. If you I mean, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I feel like that's definitely, there's definitely like, a, th- a thing to that but I think uh I do think there's like there's kind of like mini periods in there like I, I do feel like Alaska feels very different than the, the Silent Circus because of the addition of of like the main lineup that's now been yeah. still in place since then so I feel like that mm-hmm. for sure and I mean I think this is more of like a me personal thing but like personally I started falling off a little bit on uh on parallax 2 like parallax 2 was the was the like i've liked some of the other recent records and stuff like that but like i feel like parallax 2 was the first record they put out that i wasn't like really really into and really obsessed Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. so i i also feel like that kind of break myself but i do feel like there's very much at the same time there is like a before and after colors kind of thing because i remember like a lot of um a lot of the people i played with uh, like in, in bands with and a lot of my friends and stuff really couldn't get into them because they weren't they weren't like OG metalcore fans they weren't like Caven or Converge fans to a extent they were more like uh, like the Under Oath side of things which I also right. liked but they didn't like the more dissonant grindy stuff or they didn't like the lower production style stuff and all that kind of that kind of thing and I remember I used to push Alaska like so hard on like friends <laughs> I used to be like I'd be like this is like really good like you need to like and they they just they couldn't get into anything besides like selkies or like parts of certain songs even like yeah people who were into hardcore and metal that I played with but I do feel like Colors is the first album where like all those people came around and they started mm. they started to like tolerate the grindier parts the production felt started getting better there was mm-hmm. more melodic stuff. Like every song had a melodic part or a jazz solo or something. So yeah, I, I definitely also feel that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I was talking to Ian about that as well. I think that the lineup change does make a big difference. I, for for a long time, my in high school, I had this like metalcore kind of death metal band where we would just learn a bunch of people's music. And so at that time, I was only playing bass, and I remember just the bass on Colors was amazing. Like Dan's parts are so good and of course viridian is just such a beautiful song and so part of me learning bass was actually learning bass through learning colors on bass so uh, for me yeah the having having that lineup is special for myself as well 
But yeah, Colors was one of my favorite albums for a long time. And so it just felt really hard to even think about that band after that point. Mm. So even when I got Great Misdirect and listened to Great Misdirect for the first time, I was like, this is cool, but it's not Colors. They didn't they didn't really capture that, but I guess that's not what they're trying to do. But they kind of are trying to do it as well. So that's when I also fell off is pretty early on, you know. And the reason I kind of came back around was, you know, whenever 10 years passed Colors, when they did the 10-year tour for it, uh, I saw them play at Irving Plaza and play Colors in its entirety. Mm. And then they ended with Mordecai, I think. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to <laughs> see. <laughs> yeah. I was at the DVD, the DVD filming in Nashville. Right. I was oh, you were there? there? That That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was... That was also, uh, and this is this is too there's too much to take up the podcast. I think me and Ian, I think I've told Ian about this before. I kind of like stopped the band for a couple a couple of years when I was like nice. a big fan to an extent, you know, which is something maybe for another discussion. But but uh, yeah, I went down to that to Nashville for that that uh, that show, which is like mm. a two day flying trip from Northern Canada, which is ridiculous. Cool. But it's <laughs> uh, but the thing that I was going to add to that was that was an interesting show because. They did colors all together and I was like, okay, like I'd be happy with just this. But then there's also like the second set. It's like right. of, of like the Mordecai and like added Diggle Diggle Malt and like all those those mm-hmm. tracks and stuff, which was which felt like a lot at the time. It was just like so much, so much music. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I found that part partially one of the other reasons I'm having you on is because of that like <laughs> stan aspect of it. Like I think yeah, it's useful really to cool. have someone who's like really boots on the ground in the fandom in a way that I, I don't necessarily feel like I entirely was. Um, so that perspective mm-hmm. is useful here. But I remember when I was going through their albums again, listening to that live record, it sort of felt like the Viking funeral for the band that they were before callers. Yeah, in a lot yeah of way. totally. Yeah. Cause like doing songs from the self-titled first record, which is a, like basically a glorified prayers for cleansing album. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I don't think we'll ever see them devote that much time and space to that stuff ever again. In part because yeah, it's like only two people that are in the band now were playing on those albums. Right. So why, like why would they? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like, like the, and to like, like, it's interesting that you would, you would talk about like the, the boots on the ground, like stand, standum kind of thing, because it's so funny now when I meet like essentially kids, I, I hate, I don't like saying kids it makes me feel like old or something, but like, I hate now when I like the beach today. Yeah, I know. Right. But like, <laughs> but like when I, like when I teach like some kids at the university here who are like into prog metal and they find out like that I was in, that I'm into be- between the bear to me or any prog or anything heavy or whatever, they always want to talk about between the bear to me, but it's really interesting because the band for them kind of starts at parallax. Interesting. Like, I've met so many like kids. Yeah. Like people like 10 years younger who are, and then they're always like, oh yeah, this, the, like the new EPs are so good. And they're like super into all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's very kind of bizarre because it, it almost makes me feel like I'm not that or was never that. Like there was a time where mm-hmm. I was like, they were like the be like a be all end all like kind of band. I was like so into them. It was also because I had a great experience meeting them and seeing them live multiple times too. Right. Like it, that really like meant a lot personally, but like, it is really weird to like get, you know, like talk to kids and they start referencing songs. And I was like, I don't know that song. Like, I don't know. Like, and I don't really like know these ones. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of strange. Do you think that they're, those kids are, I feel like, you know, the BTBM seems like they're getting more and more proggy as time went on, especially post colors. Are they 
just like prog fans who happen to like this one death metal-esque band or are they like death metal kids who like also like weird shit no i think they're the first one like yeah. a lot of because a lot of the other stuff they'd talk about is like is like you know the newer like degent prog bands and stuff right, like that's right, right. the other stuff they listen to which ironically mm. enough bt bam is like on sumerian now right, right now they are right not that they necessarily even totally sound like that but yeah these are like like kids that are into like Tesseract and like things like that. Right. There could be like a BT band poppy tour. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that'd be pretty sick. I could, yeah, I could see it. I could see it for sure. But yeah, you can tell that they're not like, um, like early wave metalcore fans. They're not like Hydra head fans or like something like that. You know right, what I mean? Right. So they don't really have a relationship to the first, to the early stuff, to the, especially the first two records. Alaska yeah. is almost like a like a lukewarm place for them or something, you know? Right. Probably because of Selkie's being such a prog song. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even by comparison, like you take a track like that and compare it to something from Parallax and it's like right. baby school by comparison in terms of complexity. Like it's a fairly easy song to follow. Sure. And then you get to the stuff that they've been doing throughout the 2010s. And it's like, to me, at least... I found I, I have a similar thing where like Parallax 2 is when I needed to like pump the brakes and be like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I really get this <laughs> band anymore. Um, the sort of joke that I said at the time was that they went from being like dream theater for hardcore fans to being hardcore for dream theater fans. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the flip moment where I, I just needed to like it didn't really resonate with me anymore. It was like so complicated to a degree that I didn't have like a way in into the music anymore because even colors ends with a giant breakdown, you know, like the climax of the record is like the, the white walls title moment. Yeah. It's, it's an insane mosh moment. And then they, you know, of course do all the big sweepy leads and whatnot to, to end it. But the, the dramatic action of the record is all leading up to like the mother of all breakdowns. And that stopped being something that they really cared about from that point on. Like they, sort of do it again on swim to the moon but it's not the same mm-hmm. and then from ever since then it's like we're not really a mosh band anymore mm. yeah it's you're talking about that that sort of winnowing away of the early context of the band into the later context is something that's so interesting to me because i remember at the time it felt like them uh into the mode from a second story window there were like a, a whole slew of these kind of like technically minded really choppy metalcore ish bands and between the bear to me was just like one example of many maybe you liked them more than the others and I, I certainly did myself but it was then on colors where you know they have this like uh now mythically bad experience on Ozfest while yeah. touring for alaska they decide we no longer want to be this kind of band go into the studio write a, a single continuous piece of music as colors and then the next time around i saw them they were opening for dream theater yeah you yeah know? Like they actually just changed the culture that the band existed in. And from one record to another, I could watch all of my old hardcore friends being like, this is this no, not, not for me, not for me. <laughs> like one after another until no. there was this whole new wave of fans instead. I, mm. I do remember that for myself, even because I, I missed whatever the Alaska tour was because that was like just in the twilight of when I was like going to shows and being a fan. And then, yeah, they played. I'm from Washington, D.C., and they play that the D.A.R. Constitutional Hall opening for it was Opeth and then Dream Theater. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to see a, this band while sitting in a stadium like sitting, sitting in a chair. So I don't think I'm going to see them. 
And then I just never saw them until they did. Uh, the first time I saw them was the Colors Tenure oh, wow. tour, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I missed that one opportunity to see them on that tour. This is like a super, this was something I actually like really hoped that we would talk about and something that's like super interesting to me too, like the live aspect or the live yeah. aspect combined with the that culture flip that you're talking about, Ian, that you mentioned, which is like so totally a thing because like I always thought that like besides the colors, besides the colors DVD filming and besides... I saw them in, on the Coma tour in New York, too. Uh, it was right before I left New York when I was, I was living there for a couple of years, and now I'm back in Canada. But I, was, I saw them near the end of my time in New York on, on the Coma tour because it lined up with some stuff, and I went to go check it out. I wasn't even, like, looking for it. There was a time where I would, like, look for each Canadian date on this tour, and I would be, right. like, at it and make the trip for it, right? But, yeah, I remember going to that, and it was, like, a similar kind of thing. It was, like, even though it was in, like, a like a ballroom-style thing, people were, like... St- like mostly standing and it wasn't really like a mosh kind of thing but it's it's super interesting to me because like over the years my dad has always gone and seen them like my dad became a big fan from taking me to these shows and Mm. stuff like that so it's like a a bonding thing for us and he's always commented on like who they play with and like what the venue is like because the first two times we saw them were like in dive bars with like the red cord and it was yeah, like right. such a different atmosphere. It's like everybody was like destroying everybody. Like it was on a tiny stage. Like it literally was like, like I was like the distance of like my me to this mic next to Paul. Like it was like literally like nothing. And then over the years to see them in progressively bigger places or play with different people, because my dad would never ever like any band that they ever played with because they didn't, they didn't have like that depth or kind of like you know differences in the sounds like it would always just be like a bunch of other death metal or metalcore bands or things like that and then i remember when we started seeing them play because we saw them play with like job for a cowboy once before we saw them play (laughs) with like who else i'm trying to remember some of the other bands but there's one tour where it was them uh every time i die bleeding through and haste the day right like saw that tour right like yeah. those those kinds of bands, right? Though I will I will admit some of the early ones. One of the early ones I saw them with Cephalic Carnage, and mm. that mm-hmm. was new. Yeah. I think that I think that made sense. But none of the other bands, like in the bill, like kind of fit in the same. But it's thing. hard to put them into that sort of like I, right. when I was getting into heavy music. There were only three bands that I listened to. It was B- BT Bam, Protest the Hero, and this band called The Human Abstract. Yeah, those of are the, yeah. Those are the only three bands I I listened to in that scene because I felt like there's something a little more like melodic and like kind of classical music driven and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. more had that, had that really good, you know, boundary between hardcore and metal, but also just pretty melodic all at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the only other thing I'll mention that that was strange is, is like, yeah, okay. Like later on when we'd go see them, they'd be playing with more progier kind of different things mm-hmm. or whatever, like, like those ones. And it was became more of like a the sit down kind of show like you're talking about. But one of the oddest ones I've seen them is them and Protest the Hero opened for the Canadian dates for an In Flames and Killswitch co-headline. Whoa. And, and the thing that was so weird about it, it was in an <laughs> arena, but there was still tons of like on the floor. So there was still a mosh right. kind of atmosphere. But because they were the two like certain date openers, they only had a half hour set. So like, and this was 
during the Great Misdirect, I think it was like between some of their Great Misdirect tours, <laughs> like they just jumped on mm. these shows. Yeah. And their set was so weird because it was legit like, let's see if I remember it. It was, it was three songs. It was only three songs. So it was only at a right. half hour, right? It was All Bodies. They opened with All Bodies. <laughs> Sick. I know. It was, it was sweet. I was yeah. stoked for that. They opened with All Bodies and then they played the first like proper track on the Great Misdirect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obfuscation. Obfuscation. Yeah, they yeah. played that, and then they like closed the with White Walls. That was it. That was the set. Whoa! And it felt so short. It was like, and then Protest yeah. played for a half hour, and it felt like a normal length of a set because right. all their songs are three minutes. Yeah, right? they have normal <laughs> songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very strange, right? And then, of course, Killswitch and In Flames played hour-long sets, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thing, like seeing where they fit in with was stuff, protests you know? like quote unquote bigger than them at that point or was it just because they were it was like the canadian dates of that yeah tour? i think it's kind of hard to, to say i think it was mostly because it was the canadian like protests yeah. played after them and yeah, this right. was this was just after fortress right? oh okay a, fortress had like the biggest promotional push of all time it was behind so that hyped. yeah it was a, i would even say it's overhyped it was but it was so hyped. yeah it's but a good yeah. album but it is definitely overhyped as well yeah, I remember it was just like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think like there was more protest to Hero fans. It was in Montreal. Mm, got it. I'm glad you brought up a lot. Yeah, the live stuff seems super important, not just for the way that it kind of physically, you can see the changes of the band even without the music. Because um, I remember the last time I saw them live is when they were touring with Deaf Heaven. Oh, right yeah. Right after Sunbather came out. And this would have been around the same time as like they were doing Parallax material. Was and I, were, were Deaf Heaven was opening that tour? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's a, there was sense. some other was it the contortionist and then Deaf Heaven and then oh, Barry okay. Barry, I think. Um, and that was the first time that I felt like, I mean, I was like 23 at that point, but I still had the moment of being like all of these like younger BT <laughs> band fans yeah. that were like so psyched on the Parallax stuff that just left yeah. me completely cold. Uh, I was there to see Deaf Heaven, and that was like the real right. sort of turning point moment. But. I, I'm glad you brought up like meeting the band members and the sort of experience of like how like bringing your dad to see BT Bam <laughs> yeah. feels like they were the like metalcore band that you could bring your dad to see. <laughs> like they they had this like very approachable, very friendly. Like I I feel like every show that I'd been to that BT Bam were playing, it was really easy to find one of them and like punish them if need be yeah. like <laughs> yeah, they yeah. made themselves like very accessible to that kind of uh that kind of crowd and we're like right you know three of the the five members are like these like straight edge vegan dudes yeah. and the, the other two are, are not but um <laughs> and yeah they had this like really sort of cuddly friendly um aura around them that made them very distinctly different than a lot of the other bands in that scene too yeah when i i remember because yeah you know introduced to them by music videos but i remember there's a couple of videos of them playing live very, very soon after Alaska came out. And they, there's, they look so young. But seeing them as people for the first time, you're like, damn, they look like normal people. And yeah. I thought the death metal was filled with like crazy looking people who have long hair and <laughs> the, you know, covered in tattoos sort of stuff. Like as, as a teenager scene, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of look like this. That's cool. Like, yeah, yeah definitely. It, it was nice to see that representation of like normal people i can do this too you know it was like totally yeah that was like totally a thing i think for me too as well like not that i don't like the theatrics of of other sorts right. of things but yeah like there's just they they not only did they kind of project that down to earth kind of thing they really very much 
were that it, it's right. like it's yeah like basically long long story short the first time i saw them when i was like 15 i met them after the show like just hanging out at the bar and then the next day the pictures with of me with them got accidentally deleted so like my dad and grandfather felt bad and drove me to their next date <laughs> and then and then they like recognize this and they're like oh just stick around after and then like after that every time we'd ever like go to a show we'd just let the merch booth people know that hey like these people from like northern canada that are from like the middle of nowhere are here and they would always like come find us nice. which was really weird like when i tell people stories they're like oh they must think that like you were going to kill them or something like that <laughs> you must think you're like you're plotting <laughs> but it was like so cool because like we went to like six or seven of their shows or something like that. And every time they would, they would like remember us, like remember like where they're, where we're from, like, and like talk to us and everything. And like, I think even like we gave them like a Labrador flag at one point, like the flag of the province that I'm from mm -hmm. or the region I'm from. And in like the great misdirect recording video, you can see the flag hung behind oh, the nice. drum kit and stuff. It's like, and I, that was like so weird. Right. Cause it's like, I don't feel like a lot of other bands like that. Like, I feel like if I was in a band like that, I probably wouldn't be like that. I just want to be like left alone. And now <laughs> like, as like an adult, I feel kind of like somewhat weird about it because now I would like, I would purposely not approach a band. Like I would mm -hmm. be like, no, leave them alone. Like I saw them play. That's, that's enough kind of thing. But, mm. but it was kind of neat because it was t the total gateway for my dad because he was like, oh, this is all like, really like heavy dark underground whatever stuff and then like it really i think like humanized it to an extent and then after that he just like started going to metal shows on his own like he saw children about him without me and he Whoa. went to like all these other things and i was like what are you doing I'm like what <laughs> he's like oh these are great like i love these shows everyone's so nice and everything and i'm like yeah like i, I think he expected like a rock star aura kind of thing but people anyway. forget metal fans can actually be nice especially especially if they're the nerdy proggy ones oh yeah 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 i mean i think that that's kind of the fact that they are that type of ner nerdy proggy band attracted people who were also nice nerdy proggy people <laughs> and i think that you know when we were doing this like research i usually try and like dig up a bunch of reviews or find like bigger press coverage of the band and outside of like more traditionally just like straight up metal or prog coverage they have almost no press like footprint whatsoever like it's not until coma ecliptic and the automata stuff that you even see like av club doing a blurb on one of their records and stuff like that like they've never been covered on pitchfork or anything like that yeah and i think it's that insanely that's like that deep commitment to interacting with their fans directly in person mm. that's kind of sustained and grown this like huge audience that they've kept with almost no press coverage whatsoever I, I mean i wonder what you know victory records is also notoriously horrible at, at helping their bands in many ways so i wonder how that was related to the process of them getting press as well totally yeah i i imagine that they i'd be very curious to hear what they would say about their time on victory because like they didn't re-sign with victory they've since gone no. on to they did a few records with metal blade i think and then sumerian um i think they had a hard time getting represses for colors when it got sold out originally just because victory was so shitty about it <laughs> that's so insane because that's that album is such a certified hit yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's um, why they got to do colors too Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like Taylor Swift re-recording all her albums. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're trying to get it back from Victory. 
Interesting. Well, there were those, speaking of re-recordings, these are not quite re-recordings, but they're the remasters and mm-hmm. remixes of all of the, the Victory stuff. Pretty yeah. much everything up until the most recent albums has been redone. Uh, did you guys get a chance to, to listen mm-hmm. to those albums at all? Like the rem- remastered ones? I listened to the Silent Circus this morning, remastered. Mm-hmm. It's some interesting choices. It's Everything is extra compressed, but still like clearer, extra compressed. I think they've tuned the vocals a bit more. I'm always confused, honestly, by the phrase remastering. It feels like they just have started stuck with that phrase, even though there's a bit of remixing happening as well in the process. You know, um, I mean, it sounds it definitely sounds clearer, but mm-hmm. it maybe loses a bit of the crunchiness that, you know, those albums just had for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to them when they when they came out. I mean, I, I liked, I thought it was kind of, I liked them, but I found it was kind of, uh, it was kind of strange to kind of come back to. It was strange yeah. to like listen to those records and to be trying to like, like I'd mentioned earlier in, in this chat, like, like, you know, those were the records, Alaska and Silent Circus, like those were these records that I was trying to convince like my friends who were into like slicker produced stuff to like, and it was too gritty for them. And now to come back to them, like. 10, 15 years later and hear them sound like that is kind of strange. Like it makes me wonder about like, like I think that, I mean, and we talked about this over a little bit over Instagram, like Corey, like I think, I think you can still hear like the, the kind of like post cave in metalcore like influence, like on them, especially on the first record, like the earth crisis influence and like all those kinds of things. I think you can still hear that in just like the straight up, the straight up writing. But like definitely makes me wonder about the kind of reputation or reception they would have had if everything sounded much less mushy, you know, Mm -hmm. like Science Circus especially sounds as soon as they get into anything that's like remotely chromatic and distorted and or has a blast beat behind it. It's like forget about (laughs) forget about hearing the individual notes. It's just like, you know. No. Yeah, those those first three records, a lot of the times it sounds like the guitars have marbles in their mouths. Yeah. yeah. Like there's just this sort of like muddy, chaotic quality that I think is actually what the music is written to sound like to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a song like Crokies and Boat Shoes is not supposed <laughs> to be like legible. It's supposed yeah, to be yeah. this like wall of noise for two minutes and then it's done, you know? Yeah. And actually, yeah, his, that's his like only pig squeal, like actual, like that yeah. one voice they use on that song. So, so specific to that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that also kind of brings up something that I I don't know if I want to go too in depth on because I don't know if I've done that adequate research to discuss this topic at length. But the change in lyrical tone mm-hmm. and lyrical subject matter from the early days to the more modern stuff is I think is another interesting dividing line because like Crookies and Bochus is just a song about like shitty yuppies. Yeah, you right. Know? And they've got like these like really grounded, realistic subjects like songs about why the music industry sucks like songs about like the you know like homophobic churches and like that sort of vibe on their early records and then post colors it feels like they've really gone super into the like sci-fi concept album kind of world and that's another like really sort of remarkable change that's happened over the course of the band it's very proggy shit as well (laughs) even lyrically Mm -hmm. yeah i i do sort of feel a bit like that's another angle that I, I have trouble with in the modern stuff is totally. how 
dedicated it is to these sort of like really abstract concepts that I don't know exactly what they're supposed to be metaphors for or Mm -hmm. like what what is grounding those subjects to something that I can like relate to. Um, And maybe that's like an unfair thing to ask from a band that is clearly trying to make like really grandiose music. But I'd be curious to see how either of you feel about that. Were either of you guys like Coheed fans? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I had a I had a Coheed phase, but I was never like a hardcore Coheed fan. Got yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, just to me, it, it it you know the the story that Coheed tries to tell through their albums feels to me to me it was the same thing where the musically it, it spoke by itself, you know, and they're speaking about themes of love and loss and all these things, but the actual story of like intergalactic wars and I, I just could never really follow it or you know care too much about it so i I definitely have the same issue with some of the btbm stuff as well Mm. for for me it makes me wonder if like um because like there's some stuff that i like that is that is like that there and there's some stuff that i like that that's not like that and sometimes i wonder if at least my take on it is i wonder if i would be like i'm pretty much in the same boat as as y'all to an extent um, but I wonder if like, if BT band was always that space band, like, I wonder mm. if, if it would have been different, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. cause there is like, there is like some like proggy or like spacey things that I like that have those kinds of like topics or those, those kinds of things in it. But I don't, I think like one of the reason why some of it never landed with me is like some of those topics never landed with me from parallax one like onwards though i do like that ep a lot uh i think like one of the reasons is because like it was like not what i was expecting or that's not like they didn't fill that space like somebody else filled that space for me or something like old genesis fills that space for me Mm -hmm. or something you know what i mean it's right right my apologies At this point in the recording, my DAW crashed and I lost about 12 minutes of my audio. Because I really enjoyed what my guests had to say, I've kept this section in the cut of the episode. I'll do my best to summarize my portions of the conversation in between Sadu and Andrew's original recordings. Here, I pointed out that all three of us are to some extent trapped by our expectations for the band because of when we got into them. Yeah, actually, it's it's funny, too, because honestly, like I, I like those the newer EPs because I think something else that took me we we're kind of off the music topic now. But something you mentioned earlier that I, I meant to mention and forgot is that like one of the big things musically that started lacking for me after Parallax 2 is is like a sense of groove. Or a sense mm. of, I mean, you mentioned that kind of with the breakdown of the white, wall, white walls is like the last big breakdown or something. And I do feel like they bring back that like sense of groove somewhat on like the Automata uh, albums to an yeah. extent, I do, which I do like, like a sense of like some sort of like rhythmic quality and groove. But funny enough, like out of everything after Parallax 2, Coma might be the one I like the most because the lyrics and the whole concept I think makes more sense. Does that make, if that makes sense, like the, I buy into it more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's like that, like maybe cause they dial in the like prog rock kind of thing even more on that one than mm-hmm. metal. Maybe I buy into the esoteric stuff a little bit more on that one. I totally yeah. see that. Yeah. There's definitely, it doesn't feel like they're just going through the numbers of, Hey, here's the prog part. Here's the death metal part. Here's this part. 
you know, et cetera. It definitely feels like a very cohesive album, regardless of like what you think of the actual music itself, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another big part of the band's sound is genre hopping. How do we all feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The bungle stuff. The Mr. That's bungle exactly. Stuff. Yeah. It's so bungle. Yeah. Automata yeah. has some real, real bungle stuff on there. I was listening to it for the first time this past week. Voice of Trespass, there's like just a huge bungle section for a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I always think of them. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad Mike Patton got brought up because I think the way Patton does genre hopping is pretty different from Between the Buried and Me. Patton's music has an acidic or sarcastic streak to it. Sometimes it feels like he's telling a joke at the audience's expense. Between the Buried and Me never feel that sarcastic to me. Yeah, th- that's fair. I think that that's part of the issue with Prague in general is that it's such a serious music and it's like everyone's kind of taking it seriously. But when they do genre hopping, it's, it, there's no way you can't laugh when they're literally making like kids noises, you know. Mm. And so someone to, you know, is it genius in its own way because it's like so unexpected or is it just like, as you said, maybe they are just also making fun of victory records or their fans (laughs) or themselves for being able to put it on an album and people actually enjoy it it's i'm not sure yeah it's a it's a massive i mean you could do like an entire podcast of it but it's it makes me think about like like i've thought about this for like a long long time because sometimes i hear music that does these um these like not so cohesive or not so smooth genre switches like they do the the very like like sharp cuts into something else or into something that you wouldn't expect and stuff like that and sometimes I really like it and sometimes I don't and I still don't like know where I like really stand on it like I've been thinking about it for a long time right like because because like it also kind of reminds me of of someone like John Zorn or something like that I don't know how familiar you guys you know but like somebody who almost takes genre and uses it as like a gesture, right? Like the music itself is not the actual material. The genre is like the material, which I think is like kind of cool, but is sometimes also like annoying or like forced or like unnecessary or something. So it, yeah, it really like depends. Like sometimes I hear that stuff and it, it uh, really works for me. And sometimes I hear it and I don't, and it's really so case by case. I mean, it's case by case. I think even among between the Barry and me's music, like some of that stuff on Automata, like I'm like, oh yeah, this is, you know, like, of course you're going to go into this kind of thing. But like, there's that track on, uh, on great misdirect, like the middle one where they actually stay on the polka for like three minutes. And then the polka becomes like, it's like the carnival music sounding one. And they goes into the bass solo or something, that song or fossil genera. Mm. That's the one. Yeah. Cause it starts out with like the, Oh yeah. But yeah. And they stay on it for like a couple minutes and they yeah. like turn it into a metal thing and then they go back to the poker. Part. So like that, I kind of like, um, maybe the random jump offs less. So how does between the Barry and me's production choices affect the way their genre hopping comes across? For example, a lot of the times when they use non-metal sounds, their music can sound kind of cheap and synthetic. Like the piano on the song Bloom just does not sound good at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm pretty sure that parts of that album are like referencing Votsek by Al- Alban Berg. Oh, just like wow. The specific intro to that 
like the exact note choices sound very similar to a moment on it from Votzek. But but I also wrote down they should just use a real piano. <laughs> and they do that all the time. Like even on colors, I feel like the intro and outro to colors is clearly on you know his it's like keyboard. A cord, micro, it's a cord, yeah, like and tritone it, station or something like that, right? Exactly. Yeah, Triton. Yeah, yeah. I've I thought about the same. I've thought about the same thing, and I think that's another reason why I like Coma more yeah. out of some of the other ones because I feel like whenever there's keyboard sounds in that album, mm-hmm. it feels like more layered and produced or something. You know, yeah. Like it feels like the keyboards are actually more like, oh, maybe they actually like used a couple different layers of tones on this or maybe they actually used like a good sounding analog synth not like a yeah. a workstation or something like that that's that's why i wrote too the synths on coma sound great for once like they're yeah. actually actual synth parts and also coma because i was paying attention to the bass um parallax he uses the same tone for that whole both albums it's just that his like standard clean bass tone and it works for them, but you know, it's, it's just so boring. And then on coma, he actually uses chorus and more distortions and like just kind of does some delay stuff as well with it. So I do think they did a lot more exploration with soundscapes on that album itself. How much does it matter if they play these digressions into other genres, quote unquote, authentically, like the bluegrass part on ants in the sky does not sound at all like, quote-unquote, real bluegrass. Yeah, my issue with the prog- with the genre-skipping thing, kind of, it, it, part of the issue is that, especially if they just kind of, they have some certain moments where they kind of just pause and then they just go into something else. If you listen to the discography all the way through, front to back, you have no idea where these parts could come in and where they might fall into, like, which even album or which, you know, song sometimes. It's, it's pretty, yeah, they just... They just go for it, and it's cool that they go for it, but then it's hard to really think about what cohesiveness means on a Between the Bear to Me album, you know? And that's maybe why they have to latch on to having these, like, grandiose, like, themes and stories, because then, okay, if you follow the story, then you can say this was the BTBM album about this story, even though genre-wise we just, like, don't care, Mm. you know? Between the Barry to Me use superstructures to organize their music, so their music doesn't always have to make sense on a moment-to-moment level to hold together. Sometimes the weirdest leaps in their music are actually callbacks to previous sections. Keeping that in mind has made it much easier for me to listen to Parallax 2 upon returning to it recently. We had the same, yeah, we had the same experience on that. I think you even mentioned message earlier and even in the chat, and I was like, oh, that's like pleasantly surprised by some of the second half like second the second half especially like i like that telos track and i like like some of the other like in some of the last couple ones um something something i would say is that i feel like i feel like when they started in this were you guys talking about it yes we were talking about the genre hopping we're talking about the genre hopping and, and everything and you you mentioned um the ants of the sky bluegrass one and about yeah. how it sounds like not like real bluegrass because of the sterile production, right? So we're talking about mm-hmm. like the genre hopping sometimes doesn't really work because they don't actually like go for the production that would be involved to do that genre. It's like just like a facility, like you said. And I was going to say, um, you reminded me of something that I remember when that record came out, I remember like one of my friends or like some other people like 
like hating on the genre hopping as well, or some people saying it was like a bungle ripoff or something like that. And I, it would actually remind me that I completely forgot until you started talking about it that I think like myself internally or subconsciously, I think I gave the genre hopping a pass on that album because it was, but I haven't since like that bloom track that you talked about is I find like annoying and I find some of the other stuff annoying as well. But I feel like on that album, at least when it came out and knowing the like Ozfest, the concept of the <laughs> album being like, we're going to write whatever we want because we want to do it. And this first song's about writer's block, but the album is just about what we're going to write, what we want. I think I like conceptually gave those ones a pass because it was kind of almost like a part of the concept that they were going to write whatever they want and not something that fits into like this perceived idea of metalcore or Ozfest or something like that. I completely forgot about that though. Like I forgot that mm-hmm. that was how I felt about that. But it also, I think ties into something you said, like Sidhu about like, like maybe that's why they feel the need to have these concepts to like justify the, the jumping around or the, those things, you know, I don't know. It, it gives them more leeway to do that potentially. Cause then the cohesiveness doesn't have to be the music. It can be like the story that they're telling. Right. Or something can else. Serve that or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the concept for Colors in particular, because I feel like since Colors 2 is the, the thing that's coming down the pipeline, it would uh, it's important to kind of remember like what the the larger theme beyond even the theme of the lyrics, because like you, if you dig into the lyrics of Colors, like each song does kind of have its own distinct thing that it's about. But you're right, the overarching theme and the theme that they kind of leave you with in, in White Walls is like, this is an ode to the power of creative expression itself, mm-hmm. you know, and like unbounded creative expression kind of in the face of an existential crisis, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's why that like, this is all we have moment at the end of White Walls, like just gave me goosebumps to like think about yeah. because yeah. it's really, really intense to hear, you know, after all of that music, some of which is goofy and some of which is badass and some of which is somewhere in between to have this moment of like some relatively young guys just being like this kind of relentless pursuit of creative freedom is a test is like the one thing that's going to remain in the wake of our, our lives. Like that's, that's really, really heavy. And yeah. it does, justify you know throwing in a gong and sitar drone on a song like <laughs> yeah you know, i guess like yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah i know i yeah I, that that one in, in particular is super funny like the the informal gluttony one with the big yeah I mean, it's actually kind of they had I monkey like the, noises and everything at the end yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's kind of funny too because like i actually love the like drum fill going into it like the bah, boom and then it's yeah, like yeah, gong, yeah. it's like midi gong, and you're like, okay, I guess. But the, the yeah. funny thing about it is like that that album came out like if not the same year, like relatively around the same time as Fortress, which we already brought up yeah, like in right. this chat. And Fortress also has like a track like that. Like Fortress also has like a like a kind of like like Middle Eastern folk influence track somewhere on it. But it's yeah. way faster. I can't remember which track it is now. Uh, well, obviously, it's, it's way faster. The, it's like the second or third one. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But they can get away with it because their bass player was Iranian at the right. time. So. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Totally, totally. But I, I remember now that you bring it up, I remember like like a chat about like, oh, both of these bands did that on like the second or third track of this of their newest albums. Like, Was it Bone Marrow? Is that the song? 
I can't remember now. Yeah. It might be. I think it is. I think. And yeah. Knowing I, Protest the Hero, they also wouldn't do it for very long. Yeah. Like they would probably just like throw it in and keep moving. Whereas Between Them Buried Me, they really do luxuriate in the weirdly Orientalist opening of that of that <laughs> song. <laughs> to <the> really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, that's like the other kind of thing that I wanted to like at least address, like with the genre hopping is like that sort of stuff to me feels like always risky territory. Mm. Like, because sometimes with, you don't know what the context of like the social context of the mm -hmm. genre that you're just kind of hopping into is. And fusion sort of music, thing, we are a fusion band. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah it can get into some really dicey areas, which I think they've done a relatively good job since then of avoiding, like they've, they've never done an ill conceived rap part on any of their but part of me feels like, like that. Part of me feels like if they're going to do genre t jumping around, like they might as well just, yeah, commit to the genre of like, here, we're going to do like this electronic fucking breakdown or like, mm -hmm. or like, you know, have a rapper <laughs> like on a song, like, Hopefully not Tommy rapping, but, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like why not? They 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 easily could pull something off like that, but they haven't really actually gone for something like that. You know, mm -hmm. I, is that part of maybe the reason that? Because I, I remember seeing some. I like to go through rate your music and just mm -hmm. see what the the hoi polloi are saying about any given band. Right. And I saw people saying on the Automata records like they're playing it safe, which is a really funny yeah. thing to hear yeah. about a band. Cause if you were to show me those records back in 2004, I'd be like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm. But for a band that's been doing this for so long and kind of looping all the way back around to the, the, the point that Sadu brought up at the beginning of the podcast, like they've been doing this thing for over a decade now. And it almost does feel like it's playing it safe. Like if they're not going to continue to find new genres to like, incorporate into their sound it's just you can almost do like a checklist of like yeah. black metalish part grindcore-ish part butt rock part tappy yeah, butt rock part <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, melodic Jazz chorus solo. yeah yeah right. yeah i don't know french lounge music it's you just you, you can just sort of see it like yeah. they've done like even going to the bluegrass thing they've had like banjo-ish Mm -hmm. stuff on almost all of their records since then it almost has become like a cliche that like they're the band that had the banjo bluegrass right. breakdown you yeah. know yeah i mean that's that's part of why i remember when great misdirect came out besides that fossil genera like part that i referenced and and actually i really like the opening like intros as well um mm. my favorite track when that album came out was was uh desert of song because i was like yeah, oh they're just doing yeah. like a song like there's literally just like a mm -hmm. verse chorus verse chorus song mm -hmm. like it sounds like a blind melon thing or something which they've also yeah. covered yeah. and they're in, influenced by and like this the bluesy the bluesy kind of solo in it like and the sly guitar stuff or whatever else in it it all kind of makes sense in that one like i yeah i would kind of love to see like a bt bam like thing that doesn't just do the, the parts checklist. Yeah. You know? I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. And, and, you know, your reference to purchase the hero being the 30 minute opener band of that tour, just playing 30 minutes and having a full set. Yeah. I think, I think they could pull something off like that pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that would be the real challenge for them. Do you have to go parts route? Can mm -hmm. you actually write real songs? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I've had this conversation about Def Heaven like multiple times mm -hmm. is that eventually like the fact that they've just now are putting out like a yeah. shoegaze album. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> having songs that have like parts makes you realize like 
oh, it would actually have been like way more impressive to follow up Sunbather with a with an album that has songs on it yeah, instead of these right. like monstrous riff constructions, mm-hmm. which I love. I, I love all that sort of shit. But yeah. like you can get locked into yourself so quickly. And yeah. the thing that made you cutting edge can so quickly make you definable yeah. that mm-hmm. it's it, it can become its own kind of cliche. Yeah, yeah. But so that also sort of looping back around to the the idea of the, the central theme of colors. You know, I read this quote about why they're doing colors too. And I'll, I'll paraphrase it loosely here, which is basically that they felt like in the wake of COVID and, and lockdown and touring and their livelihood no longer being an option, that they felt like they were in a similar boat to where they were after that Ozfest run and needed to find a way to like reinvent themselves. And so they wanted to do colors too as a way of like saying like this is now us entering another phase of our career yeah interesting. Um, so have either of you listened to the the first two tracks that have come off of of colors too i did not hear the second one yet the, the one that came out like this week i didn't hear that one mm-hmm. i haven't given that second one a, a good listen i mean i guess comparatively i haven't given either of them like a very very good like a daily listen or something like that but uh yeah i don't know i think I think I kind of want to hear the whole the whole yeah. thing because it's like, you know, it's just not a singles band. Yeah, it's not a singles right. band, and and it makes me think of because I don't I don't feel like like I don't dislike the tracks, but I don't feel like it's a new phase or something or like a left turn or like or a reinvention or a, a new start. From what I've heard, it sounds like it sounds like kind of standard the standard stuff, but yeah. mm-hmm. but if I think about like. Um, colors like the, some of the early songs that leaked from colors like the first the first tour i saw them on was just before colors and they played son of nothing and they played uh ants in the sky maybe? no uh i think they played that on some other things but they played mm-hmm. um foam born uh oh. b uh-huh. they played uh, yeah yeah they played that one uh and i think they opened with that one like i think they even like they op- that was cool. the opener yeah and it was like i think what colors came out and like the fall and this was like the summer I saw them or something like that. And I remember when I heard that like foam born B I remember and them hyping colors up in a, in a thing saying like, this is going to be this monumental thing where we do like, what do they call it? Like adult contemporary death metal, something <laughs> they, they said something like that. And I'm right, hearing, that like extended like MySpace description of, yeah. a, of a genre at the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember them doing that. And then I remember them saying that and me going and seeing them and hearing Homeborn B and thinking like, oh, this this sounds a lot like uh, last record. Like this doesn't actually sound that different. Now, Sun yeah. Nothing was definitely a big a big jump off. But yeah, I mm-hmm. don't know. Maybe the record will prove. I don't know. What do you think, City? Yeah, I mean, I, I I am also just curious to see what it sounds like in its entirety, as opposed to kind of spoiling the fun. But I do remember uh, when I first heard Colors, it was on MySpace. So I, I think they had posted like a short clip of Ants in the Sky and it was the intro until like the sleep on, sleep on, fly on. That There's a mm-hmm. part after that where it's like, um, you know, there's some like, uh, there's just like this kind of more spacey Radiohead part, but still driving. Right. It was just like the beginning and then they played that and then it faded out. It was only a five minute long clip. And I remember hearing that and then hearing colors for the first time and then 
kind of that part was already ruined, but it was such an important part as well for the album. <laughs> uh, but also, I guess it, they didn't they didn't spoil the the um, bluegrass section of the song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I will say that having listened to the two songs, one, they go right into each other. Yeah. Um, they're clearly okay. like meant to be part of a, a suite. Um, and it, it was interesting because on one of them, you can hear them like on fix the error, the first single, mm-hmm. you can hear them doing the ants in the sky riff. Every oh yeah. While. Like that, that opening, uh, dun, 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 dun kind of figure. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, it, it's been like moved around in a few different ways on that single. And then listening to the one before it, it has a surprise genre jump. It's a, it is kind of a new one for them. I will say that. Okay. Um, but I won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it felt like timing wise, it was like, oh, this is structured exactly the same way as uh, Son of Nothing in terms of its relative proportions. So I wonder if they've like completely followed the exact blueprint uh, of colors. No pun intended there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that would be interesting to me. But I I've. It's kind of, I don't know. To, I mean, I'm curious what you guys think defines colors differently than the other albums, like mm-hmm. the, especially the ones post colors. Cause for me, I, I have a hard time listening to those following albums and then thinking, okay, these are just proggier. And I guess one is like more clean vocals and like theatrical, but, but then when I go back to colors, there still seems like something kind of unique and nice about it. And, I have a hard time putting my finger on what that means and what recapturing that would mean as opposed to what they're already doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Andrew, do you have a, a good answer for this? Um, I think, I don't know if I have like a definitive answer, but I do know, like I have, I know like I can put my finger on something that makes that album feel different than the other ones. Like when I listen to you and I noticed this when I really listened through Parallax or when I really listened through, coma or like quickly look through and skim through some other stuff is that I think like, I think the, the, like the meta structure on colors, it feels more like coherent or easier to follow. So even though the music is like super complex and there's super like parts jumping around and there's all sorts of all those different things and there's long songs and songs flow together and blah, blah, blah. Like colors feels like almost like a, a kind of like bell curve or something to me. Like mm-hmm. it starts out, it starts out with your intro, you get a shorter track, you get a slightly longer one. Then you get the middle of the record. You get son of nothing and answer the sky together. Like the two longest ones. It's almost like, it almost feels like easy to follow because of those proportions. Like you almost get like this up and then you kind of lull back down with prequel to the sequel. Cause it's slightly shorter or easier to follow. Mm-hmm. You get the basal and then you get your big ending. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I feel like all the other albums after that, even when they have, even when they have like a bookended like reprise song, or even when they right. have like a short intro or something like that, it always feels just like full blast from the moment. It's like okay, two minute opener now, fifteen minute song, or it's like yeah, or it feels like things like lull in the middle a bit before they like then there's like ten three ten minute songs in a row or something like that. I don't know. I always felt like the colors one for as complex as it was felt very like logical and smooth to follow. Like you could kind of always know where you are in the, the scheme of it all. Whereas like mm-hmm. I get midway through parallax and I'm like, Oh, I still got like, 
a 15 minute song left and a couple <laughs> other nine, 10 minute ones. And then, yeah. and then all the EPs end up being like three or four songs that are like 10 minutes each. Right. So right. I don't, that's, that's just for me. Yeah. I think that, that the structure of it being, um, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about video games lately after not playing them very much, but like it does teach you how to listen to the record in the way that a game would teach you how to play it, where you do have like this succession mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. more songy songs with like identifiable choruses before yeah. it launches off into full on prog madness. Mm. Whereas parallax just kind of drops you into the deep end immediately. I think the thing that strikes me is that it, the thing that makes colors unique is that it is, a band trying to break out of a, a previous mode and into a new one. Mm, so right. you hear both sides of that conversation. You hear the way that they are still the old metalcore band mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you hear them striving for something new. Whereas all of the ones afterwards don't, they don't have as much of a connection to the previous metalcore stuff. Right. So that's what makes colors stand out is it's, it is almost more of a transitional record and it, it contains both identities in it, which is why it still has the special sauce for me compared to the ones afterwards. Got it. Where, yeah. you know, if I want to go just like straight up insane prog zone, like I actually could just reach for a Dream Theater record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. whether or not I want to is, you know, a whole other conversation, sure. Or but, a Pain of Salvation one. Judging, <laughs> now judging by this your, guy knows what I'm talking about. Judging, yes. judging <laughs> by your many reviews, your Pain of Salvation uh <laughs> Your pain of salvation fandom runs deep. <laughs> oh yes. Speaking of a band that has some some really problematic genre hopping, um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll save that for another conversation. This is a great example of why Between the Bear to Me should not do a rap part. Is the band Pain of Salvation? <laughs> oh, no. Do you know that band at all, Sudu? I don't actually know. Uh, oh man, they're very like uh, you know, like when you go to like the the like Indigo. And you see, or like chapters, or no, no, you guys have Barnes and Noble. You know when yeah, like you right. go to like the Barnes and Noble, and you go to the magazine section, and there's a prog rock magazine there. Again, I apologize. The punchline to Andrew's joke was so funny that Sadu's computer promptly shut down. While waiting for Sadu to rejoin the chat, Andrew and I briefly talked about between the Baritimi's habit of releasing making of documentaries for all of their recent albums. And how that also helped make them relatable and approachable to their fans. Then Sadu came back. All right. This podcast has become labored and overly <laughs> complex in an appropriately between. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> three part um, epic. We were going to. Yeah. Andrew's about to say a joke and it's not a comedy podcast. It's a music podcast. So the genre skipping was k- killing us as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so appropriate. Um, to find out the, the punchline to that uh, <laughs> pain of salvation joke, you'll just have to, I don't know, wait until the very end or something. <laughs> we'll figure out what's uh, you're going to leave that. that in. You're not going to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put a button on this and we need to figure out some closing thoughts about the band between the bear and me, because if we keep doing this for too much longer, I think our computers are just going to explode. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like, are we excited for colors too? I'm skeptical. <laughs> I will say that I'm skeptical. I want it to be good. I just don't know what I still just don't don't really get what colors two means. I'm not not excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I will I will probably listen to it the day like it it comes out or like around when it comes out and I'll be excited to check it out. I haven't ordered like the colored vinyl. That's mm-hmm. probably the best way to 
best way to put it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, I mean like, yeah, like I'm in that way, I guess I'm kind of skeptical. Like if I get it and I'm really, really stoked on it, I'd probably like buy a copy or buy a vinyl or something like that. If I get really stoked on it, like I, I haven't, like I got the colors, the colors, uh, remaster on vinyl. Like I grabbed nice. that cause I was like, Oh, I want to like get this and hear what it sounds like on vinyl. It sounds sweet. I want to grab the Alaska one eventually because those are like important records to me and I mm-hmm. want to hear what they sound like on that. So maybe that's like my, that's my like threshold. If I really, really care about a record, I get it on the final. I want it to be good because I love colors so much. Um, and because that album like means a lot to me from that particular era of my life. But I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I am skeptical of that press release quote that they gave. Like, I don't think, this is going to reinvent the band the way that colors can the yeah. colors did like the, the book on them is kind of already written at this point. Like, I feel like they are now between the barrier to me. They are now the, like the heaviest prog band that a bunch of people listen to. And maybe the proggiest heavy band that other people listen to. Um, but I am just sort of like in awe that they've like, I never would have seen this coming. Like, it's kind of like, I think all of us are probably in the same boat. Like if, if you had suggested to us back in the silent circus era that this is the career <laughs> that they would have gone on, they would have toured with all these other bands and like changed their style so drastically um, and survived this long, frankly, like plenty of bands from that era just are, no, don't exist anymore. Mm. So I'm impressed by them and I'm like happy for them that they've carved out this weird little fandom for yeah. themselves. But I, I can't say I'm like psyched for the, the newest record. I'm curious to see what they think they missed on colors the first time around, because you know, Automata 1 and 2, Parallax 1 and 2, those are stories that they wanted to tell in a two-part series. And it just seems, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what they, what they really thought was missing from Colors. Because for me, that was such a monumental album as well. It, it just brought me into heavy music. It introduced me to that concept of genres jumping in that same way. And it felt so cohesive by itself, even though it went all over the place. So uh, who knows? Maybe Great Misdirect 2 will come next as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a sequel. Oh, that's an uh, interesting idea. Like, what metal records would you want a sequel to if not Callers? Yeah. Because mm. um, oh, speaking of Pain of Salvation, they've done a few sequel records, too. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is like a time-honored prog tradition. Like, there's the... between uh, no, Dream Theater made a sequel album to a song of theirs. Yeah, like, the, right. The, there, there are truly dumb levels that you can get to with this kind of thing, but I don't know. I don't know either. Another this machine too. One of us. One of us is the killers like too. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. machine too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. tempt me, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you f- you fail me too. You failed me more. <laughs> more failures. <laughs> more failures. More Jane failures. Doe again. <laughs> Even less heroes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Caven's putting in a new record. That, yeah, that's that might true. be interesting. They got the with Nate. Yeah, from Converge. Yeah. Make make that first tour happen again. Converge, Caven. Between the Bear to Me. I would love to see that yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. We need the yeah. Converge, Dillinger, Botch Tour. <laughs> that's oh, what we yeah. need to bring back. That's yeah. the one. That's the yeah. that's Actually, the now that you mentioned it, We Are the Romans 2 is the album that I need in my life. <laughs> yeah, we are the, yeah, exactly. There you go. Well, I mean, like, you know, get Dave, get get uh, Botch back together. Minus the Bears has been done yeah. for a while now. 
Dave's releasing his own album. That seems very like dad rock electronic music. Nice. Huh. <laughs> nice. Not what I would have thought, but okay, cool. Yeah. Speaking of dad yeah. rock electronic music, not to go off on another thing, what did y'all think of the Genghis Tron? Speaking of reunions that... Oh, I loved it. it. You yeah. loved it? Okay, I thought interesting. It, yeah, I thought it was really cool. Okay, interesting. It's cool for it's, them you know, yeah. to go into that space. I think it's like people who get too hung up on it. I don't know. I, all of their records are really different. Like, yeah, I don't true. want them to be doing Cloak of Love anymore, sure. you know? Like sure. they've they've changed on every single one of the records. So I think like changing even more and going into like the the nine inch nails zone. I mean, you're never going to turn me off doing that. That's yeah. something I'm, I'm down for. Legit. Yeah. 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 I need to give it some more listens. I think in a similar way to what I talked about before, like I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when like when number 12 came back, their like right. return record was kind of like a picking up where they last left off. At least I feel mm-hmm. like anyway. But yeah, Genghis Tron was not. I was like, oh, this is like a different band, right? So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I think I've taken up enough of both of your time and enough of all of our lifespans by having all of these uh, technical issues. So, <laughs> and Andrew, Andrew gets the prize for that, at least for not fucking his computer. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I do, I, I do kind of love how it's like been this multi part. Uh, pasted together a technical technical issues uh, laborious kind of podcast to be about this this band and this topic so yeah I mean I always think these days I mean just to tie it back for one last comment now that they play to clicks and computers you know I always think like what would ever happen if those systems went down during the show (laughs) like they literally couldn't play the thing anymore yeah you know they're not even an amp band anymore it's all through um it's all through Axe Effects, so. Holy shit. Oh, is it? Didn't realize yeah. that. I didn't, I didn't totally realize that either. Maybe the rig rundown thing I watched before was uh, an older one or something. Or maybe yeah, I feel, like, I feel like at least when I saw Dan speak about his rig, there's no amps on stage at that point. Mm. Probably saves a lot of space <laughs> yeah. in the tour bus. Totally. Hats off. Oh, man. Um, well, if there's anything either of you want to plug before I let either of you go, now is now's the time. Sure. You can catch me at, at Semaphore Music. Is that my thing? Yeah, it's at Semaphore Music on Instagram. We might have a new album coming out very soon. Woo. Woo. I'll plug my handles. My handles on everything are my initials, then the word music, then the word composer, and I just house everything under there, whether it's weird guitar stuff or my weird hardcore duo or compose stuff for classical groups whatever it is so an an music composer which is great because it looks like grammatically incorrect and music composer which is why i like it so you never forget yeah. it well thank you both for taking the time out of your days to, to talk about this weird ass band with me this is a lot of fun so yeah thanks thank for having you. us yeah man. thank you all right catch you later bye. bye thank you for listening and thank you sadu and andrew for joining me You can find links to their music in the description in this episode, as well as links to my own tunes if if you'd like to hear them. If you liked this conversation, send it to someone who you think would enjoy it as well, or you can leave a good rating and review. If you want to contact me, you can email me at landtheformsband at gmail.com. Until next time.